Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. I'm Lori Bischoff. Welcome to the podcast where my guest du jour and I talk shift because the antidote to feeling stuck begins in our minds with a shift in our thinking. My guests have, at some point in their life, gone rogue and made a shift that altered the course of their life. And talking about those radical shifts and how they ultimately change their lives for the better is what I am passionate about sharing with you in the hopes that you'll be inspired to go rogue when you need to make some shifts happen in your own life. Now, as a personal performance coach, I thrive on helping my clients figure out how to thrive in all areas of their lives and even go rogue if they feel they need to. Naturally, health is a big factor in creating an amazing life, and it has been a major focus of mine for over 30 years. So I love having guests on who share this passion. So now on to today's guest. She's an integrative nutrition health coach and host of the Health Summit Club, and she is a self-described nomad and former professional junk food junkie. I'm excited for you to hear her story about the crazy emergency room scare that caused her to go from living on a strict junk food diet to becoming a professional health coach and then creating a health summit. So, Those of you that are still relying on junk food as the major source of your diet, be sure to listen up. So without further ado, let's say hello to today's Going Rogue guest, Monique Nelson. Welcome to the show, Monique. Hi, Lori. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. I was so um, intrigued by... A little bit of the story that you told me when we first spoke, um, and I just really think that that is a great starting point about um, how you ended up <clears throat> in the emergency room, and um, I want to start with that because I think that you took something, uh, in your words, you are a junk food addict, and you use that as a catalyst to, you know, move you in a whole new direction in your life. And I think that's a really great starting point because so many people um, have have issues, health issues. I mean, we're both into health and, you know, health coaching and all that. And so many people have really close calls and a lot of serious issues resulting from their junk food diet, but they don't use it as a catalyst to, you know, make a change. So I would love to start there and um, hopefully inspire some people with your story. Yeah, well, I would, I would love to share my story and hopefully um, scare some people so that they don't have to have that kind of health scare themselves. Yeah, um, let's scare the crap yeah. out of them. Go. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it really started back in my very early twenties. Um, I, I, I grew up a fairly conventional childhood, you know, my mom cooked most of our meals, but a lot of them were the kind of convenient food of our era. Um, and I had some basic cooking skills at, at some point in my, uh, youth, but when I moved away to university, um, I ended up, I lived on campus for a few years 
And that meant that I got to eat in a cafeteria where somebody else is cooking my food for me. And um, I just really never learned how to fend for myself when it came to food. And I, in my younger years, I just really had no connection between what I ate and my health. I had this vague idea that if I stayed skinny, then that would mean I was healthy because all my friends would be going to the gym and and exercising all the time to make sure that they, you know, didn't gain the freshman 15 and all that kind of stuff. But I, um, I considered myself very lucky because I stayed very skinny. Um, So I just kept eating whatever I wanted to, which Mm -hmm. um, when I was eating at the cafeteria looked a lot like chicken fingers and fries. Um, And, you know, I worked at, um, at a mall. Um, So when I was at work, it was whatever caught my fancy from the food court, you know, Chinese food, sometimes burgers, sometimes, you know, maybe pizza or, you know, that kind of food where it was just all pre-prepared fast food. And when I moved on off campus, that didn't change for me. I still didn't end up cooking ever. I didn't go grocery shopping. I didn't do anything. I mean, my, the extent of my cooking skills was really, um, you know, instant oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) Which you could do in the microwave, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, if even, I mean, I just boiled water. I could, I could manage that. (laughs) Right, right. You know, and I think before you move on that that's a really interesting point to make about you just assumed that since you were a skinny girl, that that meant that you were healthy. And that's a misnomer right there that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, here, you you know, there's a lot of skinny people in other parts of the world that aren't skinny because they're healthy. They're skinny because they're malnourished. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, I look back now and I I kind of shake my head in embarrassment at myself, but that's coming, you know, from many years in the future. And there's still a lot of people that have that misconception that skinny equals healthy, Uh, because in a lot of the ways, that's the message that the media sends out and that, you know, that we're we're given everywhere we look is that you want to be skinny in there and then you'll be healthy. And it's only fat people who are sick and right. um, it, it's completely untrue. Yeah. Um, you know, many times weight can be an indicator, but I'm of the belief now that weight is a symptom of your yeah. health, whether it's underweight or overweight, it's, it's all related. Um, but I didn't know any of that back then. I, I really had no clue. Um, and uh, to exacerbate the fast food eating condition, I was also a typical university student who went out drinking and dancing every single night. So <laughs> right. that didn't help at all. <laughs> but it sure made for, um, you know, quite a few photo albums of funny pictures. Um, but, you know, it, it all eventually kind of came crashing down for me. I, um, I, I, I also ran myself ragged all the time. And again, I, I thought it was, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. I was a student. I was getting good grades. I was working all the time because I needed to, you know, pay for my fast food lifestyle. Um, and, uh, and so I was, you know, getting very little sleep um, between the, the work and the school and the partying after hours and the bad nourishment. And um, eventually I started getting kind of these blackouts 
where, um, you know, I'd just be standing there. I worked in, in retail and I'd be at a cashier's and I'd have to, to literally like instantly sit down because the world would go black around me. Mm. And um, it would only last a few seconds. And then I would get kind of like that hot flash and then the cold clamminess that happens when, you know, a fever breaks or something like that. And, right. and again, it would only last a few minutes, but it would happen without warning in a lot of really inconvenient situations. And this went on for quite a few weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, my roommates at the time, they kept saying, well, you should probably go check that out. And I kept thinking, well, I probably just have a flu or something. I was, I was of the mind that if I just ignored it, it would eventually just kind of go away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and right. instead it progressed um, and I started getting chest pains um, and it would be like the best thing I can I can think to describe it is to have like sheets of lightning going through my heart um, and it would happen very quickly um, but it would be quite severe it would be like I, I couldn't breathe for two seconds which isn't a very long time but it's very scary. I was only 20 yeah. years old. Um, yeah, that and you know, that's really frightening. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're not supposed to be having heart problems at any age, but definitely not when you're 20 years old and, and, you know, really don't have a clue what health means in life. So, um, but again, I just kind of, for a while, I just kind of tried to pretend that it wasn't happening. And it was my roommates eventually that um, forced me to do something about it and uh, because I was getting by this point I was so weak that I ended up calling in sick to work and I could barely get out of bed and when I did I you know would have trouble breathing and stuff because I kept having these pains so they actually they wanted to take me into the hospital but I I kept saying no I'm just sick it's okay I'm just have a flu so they made me call like a health hotline and uh, I explained all my symptoms to the nurse and she said, oh, well, it sounds like you have acid reflux. Go get yourself some Zantac. Oh, and wow. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's nice and easy. So my roommates went out and got me some Zantac and I started popping these pills thinking, okay, my, I'm going to be fine. You know, I'll be back at work tomorrow. Um, and they, they did nothing. They changed absolutely nothing. So a couple of days later, my roommates forced me into a walking clinic. And the doctor there told me the exact same thing. He said, well, you've got acid reflux. Um, take some more Zantac. So I did. I tried that for a couple more days. And, um, and then eventually one night at home, I actually, the, the heart pains um, were so severe that I kind of just collapsed. Um, and so my roommates took me into the emergency room at that point and said, you know, you have no choice in this. You're going in. <laughs> wow. So, good friends. Yes. I'm, um, I'm eternally grateful to them because if, if I had been left to my own devices, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what would have happened. I, I probably wouldn't have gone in and, and I really, I don't have an answer. I don't know what would have happened otherwise. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I got to the ER one night and, you know, they checked me and we explained the symptoms, but, you know, I wasn't gushing blood anywhere. So it took quite a few hours in, in the waiting room before I was admitted into anything and um, finally got a hospital bed and, and the nurses, you know, asked what my symptoms were and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of, I mean, I could see them rolling their eyes a little bit and they hooked me up to UV and started giving me orange juice, but nobody would tell me anything. 
And, uh, and at one point I could hear them outside of my, um, my door. And I say that in air quotes because it's just a curtain, of course. Right. And they were saying, oh, it's another girl with anorexia. Mm. And they just, uh, they kept trying to get me to drink enough orange juice so that, um, it can stabilize my, um, my blood sugar or my blood pressure. I'm not sure which, to be honest with you, but mm-hmm. I could be stabilized enough to go home. And I tried, to, I remember trying to tell them I was very weak at this point still, but I remember trying to tell them, Oh gosh, I'm not anorexic. I eat like crazy. I'm so lucky I can eat all this junk food and I do it all the time. And uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't believe me or they didn't care or what, whatever, but they just kind of wrote me off and sent me home. Um, and that was, that was all they, they really did. At one point, one, worse, one nurse um, said a word that I kind of clung to because it was the only sort of explanation that I had been given whatsoever. And that word was um, acidotic. So I didn't know what it meant. I had no idea, but it was just this one word that was kind of all I had to go on. So I got home and I knew for a fact that I wasn't anorexic. So I knew that wasn't my issue, but I also knew that I had to figure out what was wrong with me um, because Mm -hmm. I didn't like the idea of, you know, continuing heart pains or being in the hospital or, you know, I didn't know what was next. I, it was scary. Well, and it's Um, bizarre to me that even if they misdiagnosed you and thought that you were anorexic, it's bizarre that they actually didn't even attempt to give you some resources, even though they would have been the wrong ones, but they didn't attempt to give you some resources to get some help if that's what they really thought. That's weird. I agree. And, and, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I think that that's just as as bad because there's so many um, people out there suffering from severe eating disorders and their life is just as much in danger mm-hmm. as anyone else's. Like that's a serious disease that should be taken very seriously. And I really wasn't, I wasn't given any resources. Um, I wasn't told anything at all. And um, I'm, I'm Canadian for anyone who's listening. And I have a lot of really positive things um, to say about our healthcare system but there are definitely some flaws. And uh, for whatever reason, the night that I ended up in the hospital, that was, that was a big flaw. Um, It was big oversight, no matter, you know, what kind of the the situation was, whatever the real problem was, they didn't handle it well. (laughs) No, Um, no, no. So you looked um, up, so you took, had to take it upon yourself because uh, clearly they gave you some orange juice and some fluids and sent you on your way to fend for yourself. So that's what you did. That's, uh, that's pretty much exactly like I did. Yeah. And, and kind of like you said earlier, I, I used it as a catalyst. Um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but it was really kind of what I needed to figure my life out. And I don't know how sick I would have gotten, um, if I didn't change right then and there, but, um, it, the, the event was scary enough that I had, I had decided in my head, it's do or die. I have no choice. I have to, I have to do something and change, um, change the way I'm, I'm doing things because this isn't right. So yeah, I, I, uh, I Googled the word acidotic mm-hmm. <laughs> and found out everything I could about it. Um, and basically I realized that all of the foods that I was eating, everything I was putting into my body were, turning into acid 
in my stomach and all the things that were supposed to balance that acid out that would, you know, rebalance my pH, I was not eating. And those things are like fruits and vegetables. And I wasn't right. eating any of that. I wouldn't even look <laughs> at vegetables pretty much at this point in my life. So um, I had a, a really big learning curve to undertake because not only, you know, did I have to cut out junk food, I also had to introduce foods that made me gag. so uh, I um yeah so it was it was quite a journey for me but I I ended up learning how to cook um very slowly I can remember I didn't have any cooking utensils I think I had one stock pot um because I never I never used them so um for probably at least six months maybe longer all I ate was soup because I could hide a lot of flavors, um, making like a cream soup <laughs> yeah. and, or a, a tomato soup or something. I could hide a lot of flavors. I could blend things up so that I didn't have the texture. Um, and it's really hard to go wrong. It's really hard to overcook or undercook a soup. It just kind of all works yeah. out one way or another. So yeah, for, yeah. for a very long time, all I ate was soup. <laughs> it's very forgiving. Yes, that's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so okay. that was that was my hospital scare. That's crazy. That is crazy. And <laughs> really, it is bizarre to think about what might have happened had you continued, you know, to just sort of ignore things and deal with it on your own, which was basically not dealing with it. Um, you don't know. I mean, is that something that could have could have killed you? I, I mean, I don't know why not, because malnourishment ultimately leads to, you know, a uh, death. So mm -hmm. maybe you wouldn't be here. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes the, um, the very harsh and uncomfortable and oftentimes life-threatening things that it takes to uh, happen to us in order to get us to wake up and go in a new direction. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm very grateful for that experience. And um, it really did shock me out of this kind of blissful ignorance that I was in because, um, you know, like I wasn't a stupid kid. I was getting good grades at university. I was smart. I had a good social life. You know, my mom was, was a great mom in, in regards to what she fed us growing up. So it wasn't like... Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was starting out against all odds. I was a very typical person. And, um, and it's scary how that is still the way a lot of people are in, in just with a complete lack of understanding. And you can't, you can't change something when you don't know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, 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 you're right. It, it really, it doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are, or your intelligence. I mean, look at those doctors, they're pretty smart. But the lack of understanding of, of nutrition and food caused them to send you basically out the door when you were severely ill uh, to deal with something on your own. So, yeah, intelligence doesn't factor in. But like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and in a lot of ways, I'm sure if the doctors had told me what was wrong, I probably would have had a different mindset around it. Um, but because I had to figure it out on my own, because I had to take responsibility for my own health, I think 
it actually worked out better that way because, you know, often you just kind of rebel against authority and, um, but when you, when you come to the decisions and the epiphanies on your own, it's, uh, it has a different impact on, on how -hmm. you move forward with that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you're right, if you had spent, um, you know, those first couple of decades of your life relying on other people to feed you, like, you know, you said earlier, I, I didn't know anything about how to feed myself. So it was all about what can I get somebody else to cook for me or to give me, you know, in, in the form of what can I buy to feed myself. And you would have been in that same mindset had the doctor's um, offered you a solution or a pill. Um, you may have, yeah, been in that same mindset of not really having to take responsibility for yourself in, in the sense that you literally had to figure it out and learn about it. Um, otherwise you'd be just taking the word of somebody else for what you needed to do next. I think, uh, that was a really good point because taking responsibility for yourself Um, when you find yourself in a situation in your life um, that you don't want to be in, that's a bitter pill for a lot of people to swallow. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I think it, it makes the difference in just about every different aspect of life. If you take responsibility, then you're really taking control and um, it's, it's a different level of commitment to your own life, I think. Um, yes. And it's a really interesting way to look, look at it because um, so many people are used to giving away that responsibility or even laying blame. Um, you know, oh, well, I can't, uh, I can't do this or that because I have this disease and, um, mm-hmm. and there you go. Mm-hmm. And then they they've put blame on their disease and and just kind of opted out mm-hmm. of life. But if you take responsibility and you say, well, yes, I have this disease, but now I have to figure out how to live with it, and I have to uh, do everything that I can to manage it. Or, um, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has different issues that they're going through, but control is such a powerful thing to, to keep in your own hands rather than giving it away just by placing blame or, or accepting fate um, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I agree. I think um, feeling like you have some measure of control gives you um, some measure of freedom. And I don't know, there's not a better feeling that I can possibly imagine than freedom. Right. So if you, if you are relinquishing all control over to other authorities <clears throat> um, or in the, di- the disease itself, and basically what you're told is possible and not possible by supposed authorities, then you, you have basically relinquished all control, which means you've relinquished your freedom to do anything about it. Yes. And, and, you know, that's such a good point because there are so many people who have proven um, authorities wrong on so many different matters. And if you just accept, you know, the word of your doctor or, um, or anyone else really, for that matter, if you just accept their word as the gospel truth, then that's a foregone conclusion for you. And you don't have the opportunity to change 
your, the results. And there have been so many people who have defied the odds and done, you know, what was previously considered impossible. It's just, there, yeah. there is no guarantee of, of any outcome. So you may as well fight tooth and nail to get the best outcome for yourself. Exactly, exactly. And that's why, and that's why my thing is, you have to, in order to get to another level or to get unstuck, um, you've got to start with your thinking. The shift always starts in your mind with how, what are you thinking is possible for you? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And refusing to accept the status quo. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that um, we're only limited by, by what we are willing to, the effort that we're willing to put into something. And, uh, and by kind of seeing something as having um, an end in mind or, or, you know, a level that you can achieve if you already have the ceiling put in place, then you can never move above it. So um, if you just kind of take that away and say, hey, let's see what's possible. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like you said, change your mindset, mm-hmm. then, you know, you can, you can probably achieve way bigger and better things. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, um, there have been countless, countless cases of people that have done exactly that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, um, well, that sounds like kind of your first, you know, in a weird way, your first going rogue movement, right, was basically, would you say that that was taking your health into your own hands? Yeah, that was, that was a big moment for sure. A very, very defining moment in my life. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I feel very lucky as when I was a kid, I I grew up with this unshakable belief that I could do anything if I worked hard enough for it. And I'm very lucky that my, um, my parents and my grandparents kind of instilled that in me. And that's kind of like the whole going rogue mentality. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm lucky in that I was raised that way. I don't know if, if um, you know, if my mom really meant for that to happen, but it, it definitely impacted the way I approach this about it, everything in life. So um, you know, I was also the first one in my family to move away to university in the first place. So that was quite rogue at the time. But um, the the taking my health into my own hands and focusing on it and kind of changing the trajectory of, of how I felt in life um, and what I focused on, what I ate, that was, that was really a big defining moment. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so you, so you did that, you got yourself, um, turned around and, uh, you became a health coach. I did that progression, however, took many years. Um, so I, because of, of having to learn how to eat all over again, um, how I did that was, um, very much changing my mindset. So I started out where I I hated vegetables and I, I couldn't eat them. Um, but I had to kind of reprogram my brain uh, because it was so important to my health. So I started learning about nutrition and I convinced myself that eating these foods were more important than liking them. So I, that's how I kind of started 
learning to enjoy vegetables is I would find out how they were good for me. Um, and I would counteract that by not eating fast food because I would focus on how it was bad for me. Mm-hmm. And that took many years. It was not a quick process. I was going it entirely alone. Um, and I would say it was at least five years before I had any degree of efficiency in cooking or um, comfort in the kitchen. Um, yeah. But it did, you know, there was a moment when all of a sudden I, I realized that I loved vegetables and I loved the way I ate. Um, and more than anything, I, I was really obsessed with learning about nutrition. I thought it was fascinating and exciting and, um, you know, really powerful that I, I could change my health just by paying attention to what I was eating. Um, so I, I stayed obsessed with nutrition and health for many years. Um, but it wasn't until about, um, I guess, three, three and a half years ago now that I realized it was something that I could pursue as a career mm-hmm. because I thought either doctors had control of your health or you just kind of did what I did and just learn it for yourself, you know, mm. with Google or books. I didn't realize that there was any other option. I just, I didn't know. Um, And then it was a podcast, actually, that introduced me to the world of of health coaching. And um, and that uh, that is when I I realized, okay, well, that's what I should be doing with my life. (laughs) I was in uh, a career of sales and marketing at the time. And and when I found out that health coaching was even an option for me, that's when I started to kind of think, oh, I got to I got to pursue that. I got to change things. So, yeah, I've only been, I started training as a health coach just um, about two years ago. Huh. Okay. Well, I think that, you know, you have, because of your experience um, with, you know, the whole story that you just laid out, that's a really valuable thing now to be able to help other people with um, a whole different level of of understanding and compassion when people come to you and, and they haven't had um, uh, an eating lifestyle that's been healthy. I mean, you can really relate firsthand. It's not just, um, you know, knowledge that you've gained in your, in your head. It's not limited to that. You experienced, um, the ill effects of really having a diet that was severely lacking. That's very valuable. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just I wanted to circle back around for a second real quick before I lost this thought. You mentioned um, a minute ago about, you know, because you really hated vegetables and you wouldn't eat them just because you couldn't you didn't like them. And yeah. I I think it's I, and then you decided that, you know, the way that you made the a switch in your mind was to change your thinking about it, basically change your association. It's not really about whether I like it or not. It's about whether my body needs it, you know, this is good for me. And if I don't have it and I have, you know, this other stuff that I've had growing up, uh, that's bad for me. So you made the, the very adult choice to, to eat it anyway. Right. And I think that that's really funny because so many people, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience too, as adults, clients of mine and just people that I know will say, well, you know, what can I have because I don't like that? And I think to myself, what are you, two? I mean, so what if you don't (laughs) like it? 
how old are you? You know, you're an adult, you know better. We sometimes need to do things for our own health and well-being, even if we don't particularly like it. But you know what I mean? Wouldn't you like the result that you get? Wouldn't you like what can become of it? And so it's funny that I just think it's a funny point to make and that you just realize, well, you know what? I mean, that was a very mature decision. I may not like this now, but I am going to like, I like what it's going to do for me. And I just think that that's an interesting little distinction to make because I feel like there are a lot of um, mature adults that actually almost treat their diets like, you know, like they're three. And I'm not eating that because I don't like it. And that's just, um, okay, well, then here's what you get. You get, <laughs> you get unwellness and sick and disease. So take your pick. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, um, you are so right. And um, when I, when I started changing my ways, I, I kind of approach it in my head. I was like, this is life or death. You have no choice, um, which really helped motivate me. But what I realized, uh, you know, through the years is that it wasn't even that I didn't like the vegetables. It was that I thought I didn't like the vegetables. Yes. And I have seen that through so many people and it is adults. It's so adults are so much pickier than children. If you um, if you look at at the eating habits of children, and you start them out eating fruits and vegetables, and you don't ever introduce them to you know the junk food lifestyle, kids don't not like vegetables. That's exactly. something that they learn. They learn it from their parents who won't eat vegetables, right? Or they learn it in comparison to the junk food that we give them. So, I mean, if you're going to give your kids, um, and I should preface this by saying that I'm not a parent, so I realize I can only say so much because uh, mm -hmm. I haven't been there. Mm -hmm. But if you give your kid cake, for example, we, we know at this point what refined sugar does to your brain and your chemicals. So you're, you're really changing their ability to like natural foods like fruits and vegetables. You're taking away the ability for them to taste it properly. Right. And, uh, and if you compound that with having, you know, a dad that makes faces when you give him broccoli or a mom that uh, refuses to eat, I don't know, fish or, yeah. you know, if, if they're seeing their parents avoid these things, they're going to put it into their heads and pile it away as something that's icky. Right. Um, Right. And the more years of that that you have, the more years of thinking that something tastes bad, the more true it becomes in your head, whether or not you've ever even tried it. And that's mm -hmm. what I realized is that there were a whole lot of foods that I had filed away in my head as, as being disgusting, and I never even tried them. Yeah. Learned behavior, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think even though you said you aren't um, a parent, but I am, and I can tell you that that is all spot on. So, you know, because I've been a, 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 a health nut, I guess you could say, for over 30 years. So my kids grew up eating fruits and vegetables and fish and all the stuff that are the usual culprits, you know, that people have a hard time with with their kids now. Um, <clears throat> so... I didn't have to try to undo 
anything like so many parents um, I hear about their troubles now and they say, well, you know, just last week I was having this conversation with some um, people in a group um, and they were like, well, how do I, you know, how do I get my kids to um, eat some of these healthier foods because all they'll eat is, you know, mac and cheese. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, because because you've trained them really well. So mm-hmm. now you have the onerous task of unwinding that and retraining them. And that is, that's, it, it's possible. It can be done. It's done all the time. People do it, but, but it is going to take some very, um, you know, specific and directed effort. And it's going to have to be like an incremental process and you're going to need to get them involved and you're going to need to add a whole lot of, you know, other layers of things to motivate them that you would not have had to do had you begun this process, you know, had it been the normal for them from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at least that's working with parents who want to help their children make those changes while they're still children. So I think that's even a a wonderful time to start. I mean, it's never too late, but I remember one of my my very first clients um, that I took as a health coach was a woman who was trying to get her weight in order and so was, you know, changing her eating plan. And uh, I remember one of her issues was that she didn't have time to cook a separate meal for herself and her family. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember looking at her and asking, why would you have to do that? Right. And I said, well, I can't eat what they're eating. And I was like, oh, do you have, you know, insensitive or sensitivities or food intolerances or something? And she said, no, it's just I can't eat it because I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm on a diet and I can't like eat the fried fatty foods that they're eating. <laughs> and I remember, I remember being so heartbroken and thinking, if you won't eat those foods because you know how bad they are. How is it possible that you're okay letting your family continue eating it? Right. And uh, yeah, there, there yeah. are so many levels to the process. And, and it's really heartbreaking thinking about all of these kids who are growing up without any understanding um, of nutrition, very much like myself. Like you said, I, I, I totally understand because I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then to have parents who are struggling so much trying to figure out how to balance their life and their health in order to give a good life to their children. Because I know she didn't mean it. Like, she, she, she very much loved her family, but she just didn't make that connection for herself. Yeah. She, you know, she was still thinking in terms of weight, not health. Yes. And I think that's the big divide be, be, between so many people is that this society is so, so based on focusing on weight. Eight, yes. That we forget the bigger issues really our health. Exactly, exactly. All of the all of the focus and the obsession is on the form of your body, not the health and well being of your body. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's going to get people into trouble every time. It the focus is completely in the wrong place. But it, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard now because that's what um, we're inundated with. And unless, again, you make the effort to self-educate and seek it out yourself, you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, you're going to be indoctrinated by all of the marketing that you see, which is about how do you look? Uh-huh. 
you know, you, you, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I, go ahead. Um, I do think that there is a very important wave of re-education kind of coming out right now where there's a lot more free information being shared um, from sources that aren't um, quite as biased, I will say, as, as they previously have been. So when people are out there searching for education, they're getting um, higher quality, even if it is less, um, you know, officially uh, sanctioned or, you know, even if the information is not coming from doctors and scientists, it's also not coming from, you know, mm-hmm. people who are paid by the food industry. Um, and it's, I think, I think the information out there right now is causing more people to ask questions, deeper questions, which is so important because I truly believe that the education process behind health is, is what's going to make people make a change because like we started out saying, you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know something, you're never really going to commit to changing it. Right. So yeah, the quality of information I think is changing and I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, surely. Abs- yeah, absolutely. And really um, to your point, even in addition to that, even doctors and scientists are on board with, you know, holistic health and eating, you know, in a different way than we've been um, trained by the food industry in past decades. So there's a lot of very, very credible sources now, um, as well as, you know, as well as, like you say, the non-credited sources. Um, there's just a ton of really valuable and valid information out there now for people that, want to take control and want to find it. It's available. And there's help. There's coaches, you know, like that, that are willing to help you with this, to take you by the hand and lead you to a better eating lifestyle. You know, they're, they're popping up by the hundreds every day. So the help (laughs) is there if you want it. And that brings me to my next question. So you actually went even to the next level. And I was really intrigued about the, um, the health summits that you're doing. Do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, as I think most health coaches, you know, when we first start out, we have this burning desire to help absolutely everything with absolutely, or everyone with everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> as grand of a of a intention that might be, it, you learn really, really quickly that um, that generally means you won't be able to help anyone. <laughs> um, every single health issue is so unique that um, the success comes really from specializing in something and, and learning it and doing a deep dive on it and uh, and then helping the people who are related to that. So um, I rebelled against that idea. Um, I'm, I'm very good at not taking my own advice. And even though I know that that was the truth, that I should specialize in something and, and really help people um, in one area, get healthier. I just couldn't, couldn't commit to that myself. But what I could do Mm -hmm. is bring people together who had already done that. So um, what I started is, uh, it's called the Health Summit Club. And every month I I pick a topic in health. um, And then I invite guest speakers to share their experiences and stories and advice on that topic. So um, for example, last month, um, in the month of March, 
I talked about chronic pain. So I got together um, experts who dealt specifically with chronic pain conditions and could help people who suffer from fibromyalgia or um, arthritis or back pain or any specific chronic pain condition. And I got them all together in one place um, online and I interviewed them all and then I shared their advice with, you know, the internet. So Mm -hmm. basically anyone who wanted to find it. The world. Um, And that way people, yeah, exactly, with the everyone. But it would really only appeal to anyone who suffered from chronic pain. Yeah. But when, you know, if you're suffering from fibromyalgia, for example, and you come across a summit like this, it's the opportunity to kind of learn from a variety of experts and hear a variety of stories and, and find out which one of these coaches, you know, might have the secret to your recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave people an opportunity to connect with the person, with the health coach, because I, I think, and I, I'm sure you agree with me because you mentioned it earlier, but one of my favorite things about health coaches in general is that most of us come from a place of experience. We went through it mm-hmm. and, you know, we came out the other end and now we want to help other people go through it. So someone yeah. suffering with something like fibromyalgia can hear these coaches stories and, and understand that they suffered just like they're suffering. Right. And, and then, then what they did to turn it around. Exactly. Yeah. And more than anything, just, bring back hope. I've had so many people email me after the summit saying, I needed this because now I'm ready to keep looking. I'm ready to keep trying because so many people give up. When you have a health condition, so many people just give up and they take that fatalist, um, Mm -hmm. you know, approach that we were talking about earlier where they just see it as a foregone conclusion. And, uh, and it isn't nothing. There's always hope. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and it's sad to see, especially you know when it's somebody that you know personally, you care about, and you want to help them, and you know they're inundated a lot of times out of you know we have great intentions to help somebody that we know, and and then they and everybody does, so they're getting all of these different things from all of these different sources. I've I've had this happen with people I've known, you know, um, somebody with uh, MS, for example, and um, it's. And I would be like, have you, you know, have you looked into this? Have you read this? Have you tried? And then, you know, they're like, you know what? I have had so many people tell me to do so many different things, you know, everything from, you know, dancing under the moon at night on a certain, you know, when it's in a certain place <laughs> to, to essential oils, to aromatherapy, to, you know, to eating, you know, nothing but cauliflower to, you know, everything under the sun. And, and maybe it has, all of those things have worked for some people or some of those things have worked for many people. But the point is sometimes people, they do, they get so inundated with so many, uh, such a broad spectrum of things. And then none of those maybe particular things really work for them or they're so overwhelmed. And then they're just in this conflict with all of this sort of, for lack of a better phrase, new agey stuff. 
And then they're in conflict with what their doctors keep telling them, which is there is no cure, there is no cure, there is no cure, there is no cure. For you, it's just how do we best manage it and keep you comfortable. There's a huge conflict there. There's, there's a lot of information that seems like this is what the doctor said and he knows best with, well, this is what everybody else out there in the, in the other, you know, in the holistic genre is saying and they all may be valid but people get to the point where they're just like I don't know what to do so I'm not going to do anything I'm just it's I'm confused and mm-hmm. I'm tired yeah and, and that's that's hard so to my point to all of that is I think that um I think that what you're doing with the summits where you actually bring on you know, a panel of people that have all had their experience with that one particular, um, you know, disease or whatever the, the illness or the, the condition is and say, this was my experience and this is, you know, what has worked beautifully for me and this is how I can help you so that people can just have a, a very targeted um you know, approach and find something that really resonates with them right there. I think that's really cool because so many of the other um, awesome uh, webinars and summits and stuff that are, that are about health and food, they're all amazing, but there's like, you know, 30 experts and they're all talking about a broad, you know, base of things. It's like a panacea of, of information and it's hard Sometimes I think for people to sort through all of that and go, well, that's a lot. How do I, where do I start? You know what I mean? What do I do for me, for my lifestyle and my situation? So I think it's very cool that you've got this very um, focused, targeted approach. I think it's helpful for people. They, too much information sometimes makes people just, you know, they're paralyzed. Yeah, absolutely. And also when... Um when people can see their story, when mm-hmm. they can, when, when they can say, Hey, that's me, then the information relates in a different way. And it's, it's always really interesting to me that no matter how many interviews I do, we often come down to some of the same answers. And no matter what the condition or disease is, a lot of the solutions are very, very similar. But if, if you aren't telling the story in a way that relates to the person Mm-hmm. They're not going to hear, it. you know, like if, if I tell um, someone um, to eat more vegetables at, because it'll help you lose weight, somebody who needs help with their chronic pain isn't going to care about that. Even if the answer to reducing their chronic pain is eat more vegetables, yes. it's not the right, it's not the right method. It's not the right story. It's, it, it's yeah. not talking to them. Yeah. So, um I think that makes a, a big difference. And, and again, that's why I think so many health coaches are so effective because they, they speak from experience. And, and even to that point, I mean, I, I, technically I could do all of these interviews and then share the advice of on my own. But because I don't have fibromyalgia, because I don't have back pain, I'm not going to have the effectiveness that those mm-hmm. people who have gone through it have and can sure. speak that language and can share that um, connection with the, with the audience. And I think the hope just comes through in such a much different way that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, 
the I've been in your shoes is the mm. point of it. That's, that's your point of entry into that person's world. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And I, I'm sure, I mean, I know you're in the health world as well, and I'm sure that you notice that probably, you know, I'd be willing to bet that the clients that respond to you the most and that get the greatest results are probably ones who have very similar um, situations in some way or another as to you yeah. uh, at some point in your life, you know, past, present, mm-hmm. or future. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. overlap. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, so if you, um, if you were going to, um, give, let's say, uh, I was thinking about the, um, the listeners, I don't know, listeners that are either looking for help or, or coaches that are trying to figure out what is the best way to help their clients. I don't know. I'm just wondering if you have any kind of particular advice or tips that you would, you know, that you end up giving to people that you find really helps them when they're trying to figure out what is the next best step for me when it comes to either my health or as a coach, you know, helping, helping other people. I, um, I think that from pretty much any angle for kind of everything in life, I think that the first step uh, to solving any problem is taking responsibility for it. Um, And we kind of touched down on this a little bit earlier, but um, it's so easy to place blame on something else. Um, And, and when you do that, when you, when you say, well, I'm, I'm this way, because of this thing, you're giving away your power to change anything and you're just leaving yourself in the hands of fate or however you may want to put it, but you're, you're completely giving away your power. Um, so I think the, the first step is always to just take responsibility and whether you believe it's, it's your fault or not, it really doesn't matter. What mm-hmm. matters is what you do with what comes next and much the way that you say you always have to start with your mindset. It's very, very much the same thing. It's how you approach any problem has to be from a a point of power, because if you don't think that you can change something, then you're never going to be able to change it. But Mm -hmm. if you truly convince yourself that you have the power to change your situation, then at that point, all it takes is action and you can, you know, it might take you 10 different, things that you have to try, but you'll get there. It might be the first thing you try. You know, you know, it's impossible to predict, but if you constantly believe that you have the power to change your outcome, you will do it. You just have to take action to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. And so true. And I think sometimes people um, get overwhelmed by, oh, I have so far to go. I just don't know if I can make a leap that big. And I think it's important to remind people that it doesn't have to be a big, gigantic leap. You don't have to do a 180 overnight. You know, you could just start with some small steps and make that your new norm and then build on it. Yes, I love how you said your new norm. Um, I think that's, that's a fantastic way of looking at things. And, and I absolutely agree with the baby steps and, 
um, things snowball quickly. Like it's, it's a slow start, but then it, it gains momentum. Yeah. And in your normal changes very quickly. I mean, your body wants to be in health. Um, and, uh, and your life wants to be happy. I mean, we're, we're humans. We're all, we all want to be happy. So whether we're talking about, you know, health or business or whatnot, if you start taking small, small steps, um, to make things work better for you, the, those steps will fit into habit quickly and, and, uh, and mm. change your normal. And with every little bit of progress, it's just going to make it that much more exciting for you to continue. Yeah, yeah. You build momentum. You get excited about it. You feel a little bit better and you go, oh, I, that feels actually really good. I think I want more. <laughs> right? And it just, exactly. just builds and it builds. Just uh, my advice is always get greedy about how you feel. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You have to be, that is the, that is the best place for greed is in how you feel and do the things that, that make you feel good. And, you know, one of the most obvious things is, is besides your mental diet is your food diet and you just pay attention and, you know, your body tells you, right. It's a, it's a self-healing, self-organized system and it's designed to function, you know, in a state of well-being. So when you're not feeling good, you know that it's telling you, I need you to do, give me something different. I need you to stop doing so much of this and start doing more of that. And so you have to just kind of experiment and again, get really greedy about how you're going to feel, how you want to feel. I mean, what a, what a misery to have to get up every single day and feel like shit, you know? I mean, that would be terrible. But if you decide I'm going to get really greedy about how I feel and make it your mission in life to keep tweaking things until you find, you know, the recipe of, of an eating lifestyle that makes you actually feel really good, what better mission could there be? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love that. Get greedy with how you feel. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think I'm... Most people need to spend some really serious time taking a look at their life priorities. And, uh, you know, so often, I think as, as pretty much every health coach on earth is going to say that the things that they come up against most frequently are, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't know how. Right. And really, all of those things mean that you are not prioritizing. You, everybody has the same time in the day you're not making time. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not making time for your health. You're not choosing to, um, you're not choosing to put your finances towards your health, um, which is, you know, really kind of backwards in so many ways because ill health is one of the most expensive things on earth. Yep. Um, in more ways than one. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's, it's really taking a good hard look at your priorities and, and realizing that the way you, the way you spend your time and money and, and resources are in probably the wrong places. And if, if I can kind of tag along to your greedy theory or, or um, outlook, you need to get greedy with your time. You need to get greedy with your money and you need to start putting it where it's going to count the most for your present and your future and your family and, you know, everything about life. <laughs> right. I mm. could not agree more. 
Couldn't agree more. All right. This has been like an awesome lesson in getting greedy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. Greed it was the, the movie with uh, Michael Douglas where he's like. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, targeted to the right place. What is it? Um, was it Wall Street? I can't remember. But anyway, yes. Oh, uh, it's, it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So, okay. Um, I would love it if you want to take a second um, to share uh, where people can find you if they're interested in, you know, checking out your health summit or whatever you would like to share with our listeners about how they can find you and what you have to offer. Sure. Well, if anybody wants to talk to me directly, um, probably Facebook is the way that I'm, I'm most responsive. Um, and you can find me at health coach Monique Nelson. But um, if anybody is out there looking to take control and responsibility for their health, or if there are any health professionals listening that want to help others um, in their health journey, the Health Summit Club is really the place to go. Um, you can always get uh, information about what's coming up next month, and you can contact me anytime to see uh, what's going on. And it's um, the website is healthsummit.club. So it's not .com, but it's .club. And, uh, and that's a really great way to start thinking about doing health differently, whether you're a coach or looking to change your own health. And, and I'd also like to say that you don't have to be sick to start making changes. I mean, one of the best things that you can do is, is be proactive and start educating yourself on how to maintain your health um, so that you don't get sick mm-hmm. if you have yeah. anything to do with it. So. Yeah, mm. good point. Good point. Let's let's not go there in the first place, right? Preventative. Yeah. Oh, oh I love that. Good point. Um, Monique, what would you share um, with our listeners about the value of going rogue? Well, in my experience, all the most exciting things in ha- in life happen when you go rogue. Um, I think that there's, there's definitely a time and place for, for following suit, but it's only going to take you to certain places. And if you want excitement and adventure and, and to level up in life and, and leave, live kind of on your own terms, uh, you have to go rogue. You have to play by your own rules. You have to find your own path. So I think um, that it's pretty much the best way to live life. I couldn't recommend it more highly. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yes. Play by your own rules. That's good. Beautiful. Well, my dear, this has been awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share before I let you go? Uh, Well, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. It's been so nice talking to you and and getting to know you and um, hopefully inspiring your audience a little bit uh, to, to take control of their health and, and to always have hope that no matter where it is they're looking out from right now, whether it's for themselves or their loved ones, there's absolutely always hope that things can turn the corner and get better any day. So yeah. keep trying, keep uh, paying attention and, and keep working at it. Perfect. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Monique. I look forward to uh, 
having a conversation with you again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait. Okay. Well, I hope that Monique inspired you to take stock of your eating habits and rethink what you're putting in your body every day. You know, it's not a coincidence that junk food is called junk food. I mean, think about it, you guys. Junk is defined as rubbish and scraps and garbage, right? Basically, it refers to trash that needs to be gotten rid of. So when you think about the phrase junk food, really, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? I mean, should the word junk even be connected with the word food? Hmm. I don't know. Just food for thought. So... I hope that you guys love what you heard today, and I would be just so delighted if you would make sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with me. And of course, a rating would just put me over the moon. So also, if you're trying to make some shift happen in your own life and you're interested to find out what private coaching with me is all about, just go ahead and connect with me on any of the social media platforms as well as uh, the We're Talking Shift website or lauriebischoff.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until we talk again next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.